The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, but essentially the more muscle mass or more muscle tissue that you have, the greater ability you have to store excess glucose in your bloodstream. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulon podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. What's happening, everybody? Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Insulone Podcast. Hope everybody's keeping well, and I hope you're excited for an episode I am very excited about because what we're talking about today is and has been such a big part of my life for six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years. <laughs> In and around that, I reckon so. Roughly. We've reached the end of the trilogy of these fitness podcast and we're finished on resistance which is weightlifting well i think we'll get more into that very soon how you been anyway what's it like in bray right now because this it was snowing this morning in dublin the snow has been sticking in north dublin i'm in south county dublin it hasn't been sticking what's it like in Mm. bray yeah exactly i'm looking out the window right now it's pretty clear it looks nice but for the whole morning it was snowing a lot and i was thinking oh if it if it sticks it would be kind of cool because it rarely it rarely ever snows here but then i was like well what am i gonna be doing out in the snow anyway there's yeah. <laughs> there's nothing much happening but yeah no it's cleared up it's nice it's it's good to see a bit of sun for a day at least <laughs> did you uh go for a run this morning or did you plan on going one and then the snow scuppered your plans i planned on going for one and then i knew we were doing the podcast so i didn't want to cut myself too short time wise to have, to have a couple of things ready i'll go for one after the run um and i know i always say oh yeah i, I exercise first thing in the morning therefore i have no insulin on board and everything i was talking about yeah. during the last uh the last episode but i'll go wild today and go for a run now it so has like started snowing again here so that might be on the way down to you so that might scupper your plans well, I won't be running that far, <laughs> yeah, unless, unless it comes here. True. How was your week, Anthon, to report back? Actually, something that happened to me last night, which I'll report back. So I know we've spoken on here about 
like how fantastic CGMs are and how you get a full picture of your blood sugar, 24 hour reading. But what happened to me last night, it was weird. I kept getting alarms from my CGM. So I'm, I'm using the Dexcom CGM, which is great and I love it. And it sends you alarms if your blood sugars are high or low. So yesterday evening, I, just, I kept getting low alarms and I was like, what? The? I was like, why is it giving me a low alarm? I, I, and I didn't feel low at all. So I was like, surely that's wrong. So I got my finger prick. Hasn't been used in a while. <laughs> I wiped the dust off it and checked my finger prick, which is always, always, always more accurate than your CGM because it's actually the blood rather than interstitial fluid, it's called, which is where your CGM is. But checked my bloods and I was perfectly in range. And then my CGM kept telling me I was low, kept telling me I was low. So I ended up just taking the thing off. I just ripped it off. Mm. Um, it was my time to change it today. Anyway, I change it every 10 days. So I'm thinking maybe it was like acting up slightly because it might have been the last day. Rarely happens. But I suppose I was comfortable taking it off because for the vast majority of my diabetic life, let's call it, I was only finger pricking. So because of that, and anyone listening to this, if they're finger pricking themselves, they know that when you finger prick, you're just checking your blood sugar at that specific moment in time. You've no indication of whether or not your blood sugars are going high, your blood sugars are going low, or how it's trending. But the advantage of finger pricking and what I've benefited from the years of doing it in comparison to having a CGM, you're a lot more in tune with how your body feels and sometimes you can rely a lot more on the feeling you have with a high or low blood sugar so because i have lived so many years finger pricking and being consciously aware of hmm, that's how a low feels hmm, that's how a high feels so i am almost notifying myself around a high or a low rather than completely relying on diabetes tech to send me an alarm to say, oh, you're high, oh, you're low, fit, treat it. So because of that, when I whipped off the CGM last night, I felt I was more comfortable. Whereas if I was someone who was diagnosed, say, yesterday, and I was lucky enough to get my hands on a CGM from day one, you almost wouldn't have the opportunity to really kind of hone in on, hmm, this is how my body feels under various circumstances i.e high blood sugar low blood sugar and so on so it's kind of strange being completely naked (laughs) now from now i've clothes on at the moment but completely (laughs) completely naked as in not having a cgm on me but i'm comfortable with how i feel around it if that makes sense yeah i suppose it'd be very easy to get used to it well that's it and because you you have like I habitually just whip out my phone every few minutes nearly to see where my blood sugar is at. And because of that, it's easy to, I suppose, lose the sense or lose the feeling or understanding of how certain highs or lows feel. Because all I have to do is even flick my wrist and look at my watch because my watch is connected to my CGM or my is connected to my phone, which is connected to my CGM. So it's so convenient to check my blood sugar. But at the same time, it's very, very important that you don't fully rely on them yeah. because 
the reality of it is it like essentially it's machinery or technology so every now and then it's not gonna work perfectly and it's never going to give you an exactly accurate reading anyway so if anyone's listening and they do have a cgm i would still advise you to really try and concentrate on how you feel when your blood sugars are high or low because inevitably you're going to be getting highs and lows and when that happens it's more important and it's a lot more beneficial to your health um, health and safety too if you can realize that look i can identify myself when i have a low or when i have a high rather than just thinking i have to rely on my cgm telling me i'm high or low so i think that's good a good lesson that do not rely entirely on tech be aware how to feel it and to check yourself with your finger pricks before we get into this week's episode want to read you an email own and it comes from matt who we talked about last week matt the canadian oh matt (laughs) thanks again for getting in touch matt so he's followed up and he goes hey again guys wow i was so not expecting that level of a shout out and for you to spend such a significant amount of time on the podcast discussing my email thank you so much also hearing it read aloud i did prattle on just a little bit duly noted (laughs) i'll keep this one brief so if you did hear us uh, chat about matt we were, it was more, uh, we were thanking him for the long email. We just couldn't yeah, commit course. to. Well, it wasn't a bad thing. Reading I it all out. He says, when I'm passionate about something though, I do have a hard time shutting up. I think we can all agree with that. <laughs> I'll relate with yeah. that. Not agree. Sorry. It was so cool hearing you guys share and discuss my strategies. Ironically, while I was walking my dog under the power lines at the base of Grouse Mountain. No way. We were talking about it. Oh, my phone fell there. Excuse me. I have my phone up video recording Owen during this and I just fell as I banged my head, my hand against the desk in excitement of him being under yeah, Grouse Mountain as we were excited. talking about Grouse Mountain. That's mad. What are the chances of that? It's insane. Yeah. Um, it's inspired me to head up, do a grouse grind and to get a new time as my last one was a couple of years ago with a few extra pounds on board. I think I was like one hour and 25 minutes or so. I'll have to wait until spring even if they open it up then to give it another go. Okay, promise kept here, but I'll leave you with another sincere thanks for all you do and keep up the excellent work. Chat to you soon. That is Matt Barry from North Vancouver. That's unreal. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate, well, first of all, the first email that you sent in, but to send in another one again, much appreciated. Thank you. Glad you're enjoying the podcast and there's plenty more to come. I want him to stick to his promise of doing the grouse grind and letting us know how he gets on, how much can he improve on that one hour and 25 minutes. Okay, let's get into this week's episode. It is number 48. It is the third of our trilogy of our fitness episodes. It is resistance training. Owen, let's get straight into it. What is resistance training? Absolutely. So resistance training is essentially putting your muscles under tension to cause some resistance. All right, so that could be body weight it could be resistance bands it could be gym machines it could be barbells dumbbells all those kind of things those sort of movements which would be you know squats bench press deadlift shoulder press curls resistance you are putting your muscles under basically so their exercise is designed to improve strength endurance muscle mass or muscle tissue if you were to ask me graham what is 
the number one thing I would advise a diabetic to do when they're diagnosed with type 1 diabetes? It is get into resistance training. It's, in my opinion, well, it just is the most beneficial thing you can do for your blood sugar. When you're diagnosed and you're lying in your hospital bed, it should be, here is your insulin pen. <laughs> here is your gym membership. <laughs> these, get out of here. Two, yeah, get out. <laughs> these two things are absolutely vital. So right? this is essentially people who go to the gym and lift weights. That is what we're talking about here. And I know me and you, we gym together, but you were a massive fan of this. I think we've touched on it in the past about your fitness. You were kind of going to the gym before you were diagnosed, but it really took off after your diagnosis and you really committed yourself because you figured out it is so beneficial to your health, A, and then secondly, to your diabetes. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was training in the, I think I joined the gym like just only a few months before I was diagnosed. And then after I was diagnosed, I got into the gym as quickly as I could kind of post-diagnosis when I was comfortable in doing so. And I quickly saw the benefits that resistance training and weight training had on my blood sugar. And I was like, I need to continue doing this for the rest of my life. You know, it. I'm lucky because I really enjoy doing it. And because I enjoy doing it, it's easy for me to continue doing it. But the benefit that it has on your blood sugar is out of, I know we've done cardio. I know we've done high intensity. And this is kind of like the third of the trilogy, as you said. Resistance training will have the most beneficial impact on your blood sugar. And why that happens is basically we have glucose or glycogen stored in our liver and our muscles. And I suppose the best, the best way to explain it, and I know we love analogies on this mm. podcast, is if you imagine your muscles like a sponge and that sponge can take up glucose from our bloodstream. The bigger that sponge is and the more frequently we use it, the more glucose ah. it can drag out of our system and absorb into the sponge, which is our muscle. Okay, that's right? so interesting. So I'm not, I'm not saying that you need to walk around like Arnold Schwarzenegger to have yeah, these effects. It would help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would help. Um, but essentially, the more muscle mass or more muscle tissue that you have, the greater ability you have to store excess glucose in your bloodstream. Say I've consumed too much glucose and it's like spilling into my bloodstream. Instead of just taking insulin to counteract that overconsumption or additional spillage of glucose, mm. my muscles can almost act like a sponge to store it as glycogen and take it out of my bloodstream, reducing my blood glucose. Quick question here. I remember a few weeks ago when you said you were doing a marathon and that I was asking, were you okay with the fact that you would probably lose muscle mass because you'd be doing more running than you're used to? Have you noticed first of all, a loss in muscle mass, and secondly, uh, a difference with the amount of glucose in your blood sugar because of that. I have, I, I think I've definitely noticed a loss of muscle mass. And a lot of that, I think, is due to the fact that the gyms are closed. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not training with weights as intensely as I would usually it's like to, yeah. or as frequently. But in terms of my diabetes management, to be honest, I haven't really noticed too much of a difference okay. because... 
I'm still trying to stay disciplined and doing some form of resistance training throughout the day, like push-ups and squats and all those kind of things at home. But as well, because I'm kind of well accustomed now to my running, I have adjusted yeah. my my insulin, my diabetes management around that so that I can keep things stable gotcha. as, as long as possible. Gotcha. All right. So basically, as I said, I need to reiterate the fact that to see the benefits of resistance training on your blood sugars does not mean that you need to be walking around like a bodybuilder. If you do more now than you have ever done, you're obviously going to be more active. You're going to use your muscles more frequently. Inevitably, you're going to build up a bit more muscle mass, and that in itself is going to help keep your blood sugars at a stable range. So this isn't something like you need to go to the gym and pump the gym six days a week and lift really, really heavy weights. That's not the case. It can be something as simple as a few push-ups at home, squats, bench dips, all these kind of things, getting a set of resistance bands or light dumbbells that you can you can start getting used to. Basically, when you start a normal resistance training regime, it's likely that your insulin sensitivity is going to be greatly increased. I would I would say I'm pretty I'm probably 99% sure that that's exactly what will happen. So, as a result of your increased muscle mass, your your increased activity levels, you will definitely become more sensitive to insulin. So what that means is your normal insulin dose that you have been so used to taking will probably now do the same job with less insulin. As in, let's, I know we always go back to the the example of me eating a bowl of pasta or something, but if my insulin to carb ratio is one unit of insulin for 10 grams carbs and I have 50 grams of carbs in that bowl of pasta if I am consistently weight training or if I have a higher muscle mass or muscle tissue volume in my body that insulin is going to work more efficiently because muscle as a tissue is very insulin sensitive so in terms of instead of needing five units per 50 grams it might drop to four could, yeah, could be three or four, depending okay. on how active you are yeah. and those kind of things. Something that's really important for you to realize is if you do want to start a more resistance training based workout routine or schedule, just be cautious of that. And anyone I work with, I always say, look, you're doing more now than you have been doing or you're training in a different way than you have been training. So as a result of that, it's likely that your insulin is going to be de- your insulin requirements are going to be decreased. So you're a lot more likely to see a low blood sugar occur if you take the same amount of insulin. So the number one thing is if you're starting new, be mindful and extra cautious of your insulin dose as a result because you'll probably need less. So just would you recommend just check your blood sugars more frequently then? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I suppose in addition to that, if you're, if you're looking to start training, absolutely do. I would advise it for everybody. The short-term effects can be slightly daunting because you could do resistance training and you could see your blood sugar spike and then they might be inclined to drop and your insulin requirements could be all over the place because you're not necessarily used to your new regime. But once you get used to that and once you figure it out and once you determine all these new equations and doses that you need 
which will happen. It you'll you'll get that in a few days or a couple of weeks, whatever it may be. But those short term impacts are completely outweighed by the long term effects. So the long term benefit that you will see on your blood sugar, complete in my opinion, completely outweighs the additional stress of oh god, my blood sugar is spiked because I've trained or. I've gone low here because I took too much insulin. And it's just about figuring that out. But once you do figure it out and once you're in that routine, diabetes is a lot easier to manage. I remember from our last two episodes that cardio and high intensity training, they almost had an opposite effect on your blood sugars. What does resistance, what kind of effect does that have on your blood sugars? So usually you will see a spike. So you could go into the gym, your blood sugar could be stable. You could have not have any carbohydrate in the past two, three hours, really, that's going to have an impact. And you're walking into the gym, you're like, oh, my blood sugars are perfect. I'm ready to start training. I'm really looking forward to this. Mm. And then half an hour in, you check your blood sugar and it's spiked. And you're like, what is going on? I've done everything that I need to do to keep it steady. What's going on? That is because the activity and the exercise that you're actually doing while resistance training is going to cause your blood sugar to spike more often than not. So obviously on my, on my podcast, I'm going to speak about my own experience. So when I am in the gym, I will likely see a spike in my blood sugar as a result of resistance training. Now that is caused by the fact that when we are doing these exercises, it's a stressful activity for our body. So when our body is under stress like that, it essentially activates specific stress hormones to be released, which are adrenaline and cortisol. And as we know from, I think we did a, a stress episode, didn't we? Yeah. As we know from a previous stress episode, if you haven't listened yet, go, go back and listen. Those stress hormones will basically tell your liver to release glucose. So it's, it's that adrenaline, it's that stress. It's essentially a similar response to the fight or flight response of these are my stress hormones. This is what's happening. Your liver saying, here's more glucose for energy. So will you generally then, when you're starting resistance training, will you go in slightly low to counteract this or how do you go about it? So what I do, and I suppose before the gyms closed the last time, I had such a perfect morning routine because vast majority of the time, Based on my nighttime routine, I will wake up with steady blood sugars. So I get up, I don't have any food. I might have a small cup of coffee or something before I go to the gym and my bloods will be in range. Now, what I mean by them being in range is they will be between four and eight. So for me personally, I don't have the same amount of preparation for going out for a run doing cardio than I would with resistance training because I'm not going to see that dramatic drop of my blood sugars while I'm resistance training compared to if I was going out for a longer run. So what I'll do is say I go to the gym and my blood sugar is, I don't know, seven. What's seven by? So seven millimoles is what we do in Europe. That would be... 126 in the states be great if you just had a consistent across both wouldn't it yeah i know 
They need to change that. <laughs> who wins? Annoying. The state yeah. or the Europeans? What's it gonna be? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um so look, I go into the I go into the gym at seven. I'm expecting from previous experience my blood sugar to rise to eight, nine, ten. Okay. I do not react to that eight, nine, or ten because I'm expecting it from my previous experience. And I know that part of my morning routine is after the gym, I will go out for a run, which will bring my blood sugar naturally back down. Jeez, you had a perfect, didn't you? Perfect. Perfect, (laughs) Ray. That was was bang on. And you'd go in, you wouldn't be eating. Sorry, you wouldn't be. You had a coffee or something beforehand. Mm. And then you'd eat after your run. It was. You had a perfect. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. And then the gym's closed and it's too cold to train with weights out in the garden that early. Yeah. And I don't want to put the weights through the floor in the house. <laughs> you know. So you were in the position where you got to do your training in the morning and you had it knocked off. But maybe somebody listening isn't able to do their workouts in the morning time and they've had a whole day before they can get their workout in. What would you say to them in terms of preparation that they would have had their breakfast and their lunch, maybe even their dinner? What would you say to them? So much like we were talking about with the cardio episode it's all about what to expect from your workout. So the first thing you need to do is decide what your workout is going to, like what it's going to be. What are you going to be doing when you get to the gym? Because if you know that, then you can work back and say, mm, okay, from my experience, this type of exercise would generally lead to a higher or low blood sugar. So more often than not, if you decide, I'm going to do weights or I'm going to do resistance training, you will probably see your blood sugar spike slightly. And if it doesn't spike slightly, it would probably not spike at all. Now, there's a few people that are listening. They're probably like, my blood sugar drops when I do resistance training. As we all know, diabetes can be completely different for all types of people. But generally, your blood sugar is going to spike if you do resistance training. So for somebody that has been through their day, And they're looking to, they're kind of thinking, "Hmm, how do I prepare for this session? Decide what you want to do and then work back. Always ensure that your blood sugars are within range when you start a workout. Don't, you never want to be too low because the risk of going low is just something you don't want to worry about, right? Because lows are more dangerous than highs. So absolutely ensure that your, your blood sugars are stable going in. And make sure you have your insulin, say glucose tablets or glucose drinks, and an additional carb source just in case things go south quickly. And within resistance training, is there different ways different types of training can react? In terms of, I know from gym with you, we would change it up from different days. We will be doing low weights with high reps. And then another day we'd be doing heavy weights with low reps. Would you have to prepare differently for them? Yeah, so a lot of the time when I do, now I I will generally train heavy when I'm in the gym, but if I do change it up and I do a lighter weight with a rep range of say 10 to 12 and above, I will likely see a similar impact to cardio. Now, it's it's like we're going up and down, up and down, up and down. It seems like there's so many different things to deal with. But for me, what I see is if I'm doing more higher reps, and particularly if I'm doing, you know, when we used to do the, the, the lunge roulette, we call oh. it, on the, the lunge track. It, oh, it was, 
when you say, I've said that to other people that I gym with and they were like what on earth who is this person that you were gymming with <laughs> explain what lunge roulette is it's a, and the problem is the two of us would have egos as well so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like I don't want to lose to Graham I don't want to lose to Owen even though he's twice yeah. my size <laughs> so so lunge <laughs> so lunge roulette is there's the gym that me and Graham go to has a massive track so it's where people what like it's like a gra- an astro. Yeah, it's like a, an a, kind of like an astro track. Yeah. So it's probably what Graham fifty meters or so. Yeah, about that. So we do lunge roulette, which means that we lunge to one end, and then the other person goes back the other way until somebody gives up. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is always interesting. But <laughs> with lunge roulette, I will generally see my blood sugars come down before they go up. So that type of exercise, because we're doing so many reps, it's si- more similar to the effects of cardio than actually training heavy. So with that, I will prefer to go in at my blood sugar slightly higher because I know they're going to be inclined to drop down. Whereas if I train heavy, a majority of the time when I go into the gym, I'm doing a rep range of six to ten anywhere between six to 10, probably eight to 10 with a much higher weight. And that's when I will see my blood sugar spike. That's when I'm getting that, that release of the stress hormones that spike my blood sugar. What about that day when you wouldn't let me get up off the leg extension machine until I did 50 reps? (laughs) You're not talking about these 50 rep days that you you do. (laughs) Keep that one quiet. (laughs) Well, look, you tell me, I don't know how your blood sugars were. So I generally take it then. So when you're preparing for <laughs> when you're preparing to do a resistance session, it's not just your blood sugars you're thinking about. You're also thinking of the exercises and how much you're going to do, and you got to keep consistent with them as well. Would that that be right in saying? So, if you're going to go in and you're going to do lunge roulette, we'll call it, or fifty or fifty exercises on the leg <laughs> extension, you're going to keep that consistent across all the exercises you're going to do, and you're going to do low weights with high reps. And then, if you want to do it the other way. You're going to do every exercise is going to be heavy weights with low reps just to keep everything consistent and make it easier to manage your blood sugars. Exactly. It's it's important to just have a plan so you can, again, anticipate wh- what way your blood sugars are going to go. So what I used to do as well, oh, just throughout the years, tactics that I used were because I knew any time I was going into the gym, vast majority of the time, my bloods were always going to spike. I would plan ahead and say, okay, if I know my bloods are going to spike, I'm either going to go in with my blood slightly lower, maybe five or six, so that when I do see the spike from resistance training, it's not going to go too high. So when you say slightly lower, and I know you, you're very cautious of saying do not go in low, you're saying slightly lower on your in-range Absolutely. Yeah, not low as in like yeah. hypoglycemia. So it's just the lower half of your in range. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And then as well, if I didn't want to, so that's what you could do as well. You could start a resistance training workout with light cardio to slightly bring you down to the lower end of in range so that when you do see a spike, it's not going to be too high. And then you can also do it the opposite side of the workout. So Again, like I have been doing with my morning routine, because I see that spike from the resistance training, 
rather than just like reacting to that high and taking insulin, I will be a bit patient, go out for a run, go out for a walk and bring it down naturally. So that was, that's why when we often gym together, I come in and you're on the bike before we're training. So you're trying to balance your blood sugars in that way. Exactly. Okay. I'm a big believer in not reacting to your blood sugar too quickly. Because if you react to your blood sugar, then you may spike rapidly or drop rapidly. And if that happens, you're stepping into that roller coaster of blood sugars because your bloods are coming down. You might react to that quick drop and you overtreat a hypo. And then that overtreatment of a hypo brings you up above range and then you react again with insulin to bring it back down. So what I would advise for people, and I some I need to remind myself of this sometimes when I'm training, and particularly when you have a CGM, because when you have a CGM, you're seeing things happen with your blood sugar live, essentially. There's obviously like a, a five-minute delay, but you're seeing it as it's happening. So I know from my experience that if I was training in the gym and I saw that spike and I reacted to that spike and I just took insulin straight away, I know that I would just plummet an hour or an hour and a half after. And I know that because even if I don't go for a run or a walk, my bloods are always inclined to naturally come back down slightly anyway. So the big thing is just not reacting as quickly as you should. Look, everybody wants their blood sugar to be in range. Everybody kind of gets pissed off and frustrated when they are higher, when they are low. But the big thing is just having patience, anticipating what to expect over the next two, three, four, five hours. Your blood sugar can even be, your blood sugar can and will be impacted by a workout for 24 to 36 hours after a workout anyway. So, just don't react and and take insulin too quickly because your bloods could naturally be coming down as a result of the workout and you don't want to double down on that <laughs> insulin and then have yourself plummeting down that's the last thing you want i know we've got a wide range of people who listen to this podcast but i presume resistance training is for everyone and you would recommend people of all ages to do it absolutely Men, women, young, old, everybody should be doing some form of resistance training. And I think particularly with women, there seems to be this misconception of if I get into a a consistent weight training routine, I'm going to get bulky or I'm going to be too muscular. That is just not going to happen. Well, I tell you, as a 29-year-old man who's been gymming consistently for 10 years, it hasn't happened to me. <laughs> yeah. So it won't happen to you. Don't worry. Yeah. See? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm still waiting to get muscular and bulky. <laughs> yeah. And if any woman starts training and does, can she give me some tips, please? <laughs> yeah. So if you are a woman and you're considering getting into weight training or you want to lose a bit of weight or you want to get fitter, I would definitely advise some sort of resistance training because resistance training is going to help build muscle. When you build muscle, you're going to be burning more calories at rest anyway, obviously aiding in weight loss or or fat burning. But as well, just to reiterate, you're not going to get big and bulky if you're a woman doing training consistently because 
men are more inclined to build muscle because we have testosterone in our bodies, which is a male muscle building hormone. It's a lot more prevalent in males than it is in females. So therefore, if you are a female doing resistance training, you're not going to bulk up very fast. You're probably not going to, you're not going to bulk up at all unless you're eating a lot of food and supplementing with things you probably shouldn't supplement with. (laughs) So I would absolutely advise a woman that wants to primarily even lose a bit of fat. Resistance training is the key to that, along with the nutritional side of things. Rather than just cardio, 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 cardio. Because you're going to be burning muscle at the same time when you're doing excessive amounts of cardio. And if you build more muscle in your body, again, you're going to be burning more calories at rest, therefore aiding in that fat loss. So you're focusing on women there, but what about, we'll say, the more mature listener, Owen? Just as important. All shapes and sizes and ages need to do resistance training, particularly if you're older, because when we get older, we're going to lose more muscle mass and we can become more fragile, obviously, as, as we age. So if you continue with some sort of resistance training throughout the week, you're going to strengthen your joints, you're going to improve your bone density, and as well, you're going to boost your mood and your overall well-being. So because of that, if your muscles are kept as strong as they can and you're improving your bone density, if, let's say, you get older and you fall, you're not as likely to break as many bones And you're probably less likely to fall because you are strengthening those muscles to help support you. It's a good point. Very good point. And tell me, what about your blood sugars after resistance training? Maybe an hour or two. What are you to expect then? So when you resistance train, you're basically tearing your muscles. There's microscopic fibers in your muscles that are tearing when you're resistance training. So... After a workout, you need to fuel those tears so that they can heal bigger and stronger. That's obviously the purpose of it. But you're a lot more inclined to experience lower blood sugars as a result because your muscles need to get energy to to heal and recover from somewhere. So again, like we were touching on earlier, if you're stealing that glucose from your bloodstream as glycogen or as energy, you may be a lot more inclined to see your blood sugar on the lower end of the scale. So that's why I say, and I wanna re, want re-emphasize the importance of being open to the idea that your insulin requirements are probably gonna be reduced. So as I said, if your blood sugars are being affected for 24 to 36 hours after a workout, you still need to be mindful of those effects rather than doing things as you've always done it because that may lead to more low blood sugars. And what would you say to somebody who is listening and they are thinking about getting into resistance training because they've heard of all the benefits that there is to doing it? Again, I want to tell you, if you're thinking about doing it, definitely do it because it can be difficult at the start to get used to, but when you get used to it, there's no doubt in my mind that you'll see the benefits on your health and particularly your diabetes management. But if you are new to it, what I would recommend is starting with lightweight or just body weight. 
maybe three full body workouts a week. Give yourself a rest in between each day and 30 to 60 minutes for a session just to ease your way into it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to go you don't you don't want to go crazy too early because you might risk getting injured and your blood sugars might go all over the place, but something light, 30 to 60 minutes, three times a week until you build your confidence around it, build up even your understanding of what to expect from your blood sugar as you go. And of course, anytime you exercise or train or even leave your house. You're probably not leaving your your house too much nowadays with the virus, but make sure you always have your insulin, glucose tablets, and additional carbohydrate. And anyone who may be, I suppose, further on in their resistance training experience, and you're really looking for results, and you're living with type 1 diabetes, you can see those results. Now, what I mean by results in this example is if you want to build muscle, if you want to get stronger or fitter or whatever it is. One of the most common things I'm asked is, can I build muscle with type 1 diabetes? Or how do I build muscle with type 1 diabetes? The fundamentals of building muscle are the exact same for somebody living with type 1 diabetes as they are for somebody who is lucky enough to not live with type 1 diabetes. And those fundamentals are sufficient calories, sufficient protein, right? You need to be eating the right types of food and the right amount of food. You need to absolutely, the one, number one priority is managing your blood sugars. If your bloods are consistently high or fluctuating up and down, you can kiss your muscle building hopes goodbye because it's not going to happen. You need to prioritize your diabetes management. You need to track and monitor your food intake like I've just mentioned. You need to know if you're eating the right food and if you're eating the right amount of food because it's so easy for people to say, oh, I'm eating loads of food. It might feel like you're eating a lot of food, but you might not actually be eating sufficient amount of calories to build that muscle. Progressive overload, which is incrementally making a workout or an exercise or a set of an exercise more difficult week by week by week by week. So that could be increasing weight week by week. It could be increasing the number of reps that you do week by week, increasing the frequency of your workouts, the duration of your workouts, or decreasing rest times. So basically, progressive overload is making things more difficult for yourself each time you train so that your body has to adapt to that overload of stress you're putting on it good type of stress rest you have to rest because like i said you're tearing those muscle fibers down when you rest they're gonna repair and heal bigger and stronger the two finishing but most important ones patience and consistency you cannot let's say build a physique that you want in six weeks it's not gonna happen right you need to be patient you need to be consistent but you need to also realize that it is not impossible, right? It's more difficult to build muscle, get fitter, get healthier. When you do live with type 1 diabetes, that's just the reality of it. But it's not impossible. So educate yourself properly. Know what you're doing. Be consistent and be patient. If you have any emails for Owen on this topic, you can get us at theinsulonepodcast at gmail.com. And we actually have an email in here from Ben, which could actually answer people who are listening. They could be thinking this as well. 
Owen, I'll put this question to you before we finish off. He says, Dear Owen, firstly, I've just caught up on the last of the podcasts I had left to listen to. They're all so good and so informative. My strength and conditioning coach has recommended taking creatine as a supplement to boost strength. I wanted to know your opinion of it. What do you know about its effect on glucose levels? Have you slash do you take it yourself? That is from Ben. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for getting in touch. I appreciate it. Look, creatine is one of the most commonly used supplements, and it's probably the most researched supplement in relation to muscle building or or fitness. Now, in this context, we'll talk about creatine monohydrate. There are loads of different types of creatine, and there are loads of different supplements that you can get that have creatine in them, but they're not... I suppose they're not just creatine by themselves. Yeah. So for this, I'm talking about creatine monohydrate just mixed with water rather than a pre-workout or an intra-workout supplement that could be pumped full of sugar or carbs that are obviously going to have an impact on your blood sugar. So creatine itself is a natural substance produced by amino acids. And if you listen to the protein episode back that we did a few weeks ago, Amino acids are essentially the building blocks of protein. So creatine is a natural substance and you can actually get it from red meat or fish. And its main function is to promote muscle growth, enhance strength and boost your workout performance. It is a natural substance. It's not like it's this kind of underground unknown substance. But yes, I do take it. I have taken it in the past and I take five grams per day mixed with water. I personally have not seen any impact on my blood sugar and I would only recommend it if your blood sugar is well managed, much like everything everything else you're going to include in your diet. The priority is always managing your own diabetes. But because, Ben, you asked me specifically, yes, I do take it. I take five grams a day and have not seen an impact on my blood sugar. And I suppose a tip could be take it for a day and monitor your blood sugars very closely and for yourself, Ben. And then if like going, then it should be fine. Yeah, of course. And I think it's easy for people to, and myself included, it's easy for us to associate, let's say, let's just use creatine as, as the example. It, it would be easy for us to associate creatine as something that's having a massive impact on my blood sugar if I'm not monitoring it well. So let's say, for example, I just have one of those diabetes days where my bloods are skyrocketing and coming back down and up again or whatever. It's just one of those days. And by chance, I take creatine that day. I could automatically think, oh, that's the creatine that's done that. But it could just be my diet. So again, no matter what you're doing, the priority is always managing your blood sugars. But from my experience, I haven't had any issues or haven't seen any impact on my blood sugar up till now. Hope that helped, Ben. And if you have any questions at all for Owen in relation to training or anything at all, and you just want to get in contact, you can get us on the Insul Owen podcast. You can see the spelling on your phone or on your laptop or even listen to the podcast. It's up there at gmail.com. Owen, thank you. Thank you, Graham. Thank you, listener. I hope you enjoyed it. And to summarize what I would say try to introduce some sort of resistance training into your week. It could be something as small as a few squats a day or a couple push-ups a day. 
anything to build up strength, anything to see that impact on your blood sugar, because I guarantee you it will help. But of course, number one priority, <laughs> manage your diabetes at all times. Thank you for listening. Look forward to chatting to next week. And yeah, have a great week. <laughs> see you later. Bye.